0: Welcome to the Content Strategy Experts Podcast, brought to you by Scriptorium. Since 1997, Scriptorium has helped companies manage, structure, organize, and distribute content in an efficient way. In this episode, we talk about how content reuse can help you save on your localization costs. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Patterson.
1: And I'm Bill Swallow.
0: And we're going to dive into talking about how content reuse can help you save on your localization costs. So I want to get started with just a really general question. And when we talk about reuse, what are we talking about?
1: Um, That's a very good place to start. Um, When we talk about reuse, what we're not talking about is copying and pasting of content. You could think of that in terms of reuse, but it's not—it's not really what we're talking about here. Uh, when you copy and paste content, you're essentially duplicating it and then need to manage it in multiple places. What we're talking uh-huh. about is more—you know—intelligent reuse of content. So writing it once and using it by reference wherever you need to use it. So this way, it's only written once and it's used multiple times as needed.
0: Great. And we have done a podcast and an additional blog post just solely on reuse, so I will link those in the show notes. But I want to dive into now looking more specifically at how content reuse, now that we've defined that, can help us save on localization costs.
1: Well, generally speaking, reuse reduces the overall number of unique words that you are translating. By using intelligent reuse and you're writing once, and using it multiple times by reference, you have the opportunity to choose pieces of content that you will author once and only once. And that content gets translated once and only once, regardless of how many times it's being used. Uh, If you copy paste, you can still see a savings if the wording that you're using is one for one. So if it's absolutely exact all the time, For example, I know Microsoft Word has an auto text feature so you can throw a basic uh, reusable component like a a caution statement or uh, some other boilerplate text and you can use that to insert it every single time. That may save you a bit of time on the authoring side and ensure that the text that you're inserting is exact every single time. The only mm-hmm. problem with that is that it is inserted as normal text every single time you insert it, so it does still increase the total amount of words that you need to send to the translator. It might be a hundred percent match, but they still have to do a check against it to make sure um, everything is fine, and the systems that they use will still count those words and say yes, this is a hundred percent match, but. You know, it's still being counted as, as part of your incurred cost because there is, mm-hmm. there's something that's going to the translator for them to see, even though there's a match. And in some cases, you may even get what they call an ICE match or an in-context exact match on that text. So if you are using something like, you know, Microsoft's Words uh, feature, you can drop that text in every single time, and you can get this. Yeah, you know, yes, it is 100% you know, a 100% match every single time it's inserted. And, you know, if it's a full paragraph, it could be, yes, it's a contextual perfect match. It's a paragraph and it says the same exact thing. But more times than not, when you talk about inserting strings of text that say the same thing over and over and over again, the context may shift depending on where you're using that text, in which case then you get maybe a 100% match, which still requires some review. Or you get uh, what we call a fuzzy match, where you know if you happen to make an edit to that text that was inserted and, re- and copy and pasted, it's no longer 100%, and therefore the translator has more work to do, and and there may be questions. You know, this one says, you know, this one has two words that are different from this other block of text. They say roughly about the same thing. Should they be translated the same way, or is there a reason why they're different? You know that just slows down your translation process. It injects confusion. It injects questions that need to be mitigated and answered, or you can then suddenly have a divergence in the translation where you shouldn't have. You know the translator might have translated it two different ways because it used two different uh, structures. Right. So right. true reuse or or intelligent reuse moves that out of the way by by taking the text that is being reused every single time putting it somewhere to the side is translated separately and then can be used as as it needs to be used you know throughout your your whatever it is you're writing um you know your manual your web, uh, web content whatever you need to uh, and there are some, you know, plenty of tools that are out there that do this well, um, two of which that come immediately to mind for desktop publishing based tools are FrameMaker and Madcap Flare. Uh, FrameMaker uses a series of uh, conventions where they store content in chapter files. And those chapter files are assembled within a book uh, file. and you can easily reuse an entire chapter in multiple different books just by linking to that chapter file from the book. You don't have to rewrite the the uh, information, it's not being copied and pasted, it's it's a dynamic link that goes right to that file and pulls it into the book. FrameMaker also has text insets which function a little bit like the same in the same way where you have a separate file that has a block of text and you can say hey go to this file grab that text and place it here. And the, uh, the smart thing about this is that when you do that in FrameMaker, you are not creating an editable copy of that text. It is, it is a reference to the file that contains the text, but you cannot modify it within the context of whatever it is you're writing. Uh, it is uneditable, you can see it, you can read it, but it is uneditable and you can't modify it. The same goes for Madcap Flare, where you're building things in a similar fashion, where you're grabbing individual files and you're putting them together in an order to create some kind of document or, you know, website or what have you. And Madcap Flare also has something similar to text insets. They call them snippets, and you are able to insert these snippets uh, throughout your content. And those, again, are managed in a separate place. They're written only once, and they are non-editable in the context of where you're using them. They're only there as a reference point. Mm -hmm. Now, these are great. However, you do have some uh, concerns when you're using these tools for localization purposes. Um, They're not inherently bad, but uh, if you are looking to do a lot more with your content, let's say you are... um, styling your content very differently for different outputs or you're creating the same type of output but the styling is different. Uh, The text insets and such are uh, in the snippets they're going to I believe carry a lot of the formatting information over with them from where however they're formatted where they're stored so it's not incredibly ideal but it does reduce the total number of words that you're translating. When you move to something like XML, you have a bit more available to you because you have these these conventions, but they're built into a format of writing that does not have the formatting applied to the content. So it's all text-based, and you can do uh, quite a bit with organizing and reorganizing your content without having to worry about, you know, your your headings being formatted, you know, one way or another. Uh, it's all just plain text, and the formatting is applied at the point you're publishing.
0: Right. So I think what we're seeing here, obviously, is that you know, there's really one main way that you're going to be saving money on your localizations costs through reuse, and that's just reducing that you know word count. But the way that you go about making that happen in your strategy is really going to vary depending on where you're at as a company. Right. So... I want to get into a few tips. So what are some tips that you have for reusing content, particularly when you are planning to localize that content?
1: Well, the the knee-jerk response to anyone who is doing localization for the first time uh, and has all of this reuse potential in front of them is to reuse as much as possible. And to okay. apply conditional text or conditional formatting uh, as much as possible, uh, and you know even I was guilty of that, you know many 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 years ago, where we would have a manual that would uh, go out to in 19 or 20 different languages, but one of them, you know, one of them was over in Europe. And I figured, oh, well, for the English stuff, we'll just condition in and out the the characters that differ between certain words. We'll condition in or out a U in color, or uh, we'll condition out a Z for an S for localize, Uh, you know, these types of things. And, you know, I thought I was being, you know, quite inventive. And, you know, it, it, it came back immediately that, no, you cannot do this, because when you send something for translation, the translator gets a wall of garbage that they're looking at and wondering <laughs> what you're trying to do with these words. Um, so my first bit of advice is do not go too granular with your reuse. Things like reusing uh, words or phrases, I would really limit that, you know, as as much as possible. You really want to reuse at a larger chunk level. Um, so if we're talking DITA or for talking something like Madcap Flare, reusing at a topic level. So here is a topic with a heading and a bunch of text or a procedure or what have you. Reuse that whole piece as, you know, if you need to reuse it five, six, seven times, that's great. You've written it once and you can leverage it, you know, ad- an additional, you know, four or five times. That's fantastic. Reusing things like notes, cautions, warnings, they tend to stand on their own. I mean, they, they are used in context with other text, but the warning itself, you can write those to be very standalone as far as um, you know, what the thing you should not do is and what the outcome of that is within the context of that warning statement. And you should be able to put that off to the side, write it once, and use it everywhere. There are two benefits to that one is the localization impact and the other one is that all your warning messages are exactly the same wording and it will drill um, that information into your readers heads over time as they read it to say oh yeah i shouldn't do this really important i should not do this you know there are only so many ways that you really should say don't stick your hand in the machine while it's working or you'll lose it (laughs) Um, you really want to say it only once and 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 repeat that statement multiple times until it's drilled into your audience's head to, hey, don't stick your hand there.
0: Yep. And you want to make sure that it's being said in the same way so they don't take a a different meaning from that. Exactly.
1: Or have it translated differently, even though you, you meant to say the same thing.
0: Right. It's something that I'm thinking about as we're talking about you know, what, we're, what companies give their translators so that their, you know, translators are trying to figure out, you know, what they mean is writing style. So when you get into an organization that has many different writers, what are some things that you need to be, you know, aware of when you're planning on sending, info or sending content to translators?
1: The first thing you have to do is have your style guide nailed down to make sure that all of your writers are following that guidance. Sometimes in larger organizations where you have too many authors and perhaps not enough editors to clean up after them, uh, you might want to look into some kind of editing-based software or language-based software like AcroLynx or Congri to do a lot of the spot checks uh, automatically rather than relying on someone to catch it in proofreading. Uh, you know, Especially if you have tight timelines, quick turnarounds, and you know, everyone is just too busy to proof each other's work. Uh, I know that the the days of having a um, a, a fleet of editors cleaning up after writers is, is has kind of run its course. There are still many technical and editorial editors out there, but not to the degree they used to be. In, in let's say the even the the 1980s, you know, when unfortunately I started working. <laughs>
0: Right, and, and and content governance can help with that as well. Right? Oh,
1: absolutely. The more you can nail things down and have a process for how you produce your content, the better off you're going to be. And the one thing you absolutely must do, uh, and I wanted to touch upon this also with the uh, the style guide, is you have to include your localization people in that overall plan for governance. Uh, in styling as well. You want to bring them in to help define the language style that you're going to be presenting this information in. Uh, You know, the way they're going to write their translations, how you want their translations to to read and which words they should use and which words they should not use and why. You really need to have a global style guide at that point and and be able Mm -hmm. to provide glossaries of information to your translators because you know, you may have uh, different translators for each language, depending on when they're available to take on the work, unless you're fortunate enough to have them all in-house as employees, which is extremely rare. A lot of times that, that work is outsourced, uh, whether it's through uh, a language service provider or you're doing it direct with other freelance translators. So being able to have that global style guide in place, to have a global glossary in place, And what's really critical is being able to, um, when you do have these reusable components that you're going to be giving them to translate not only the components, but the content where the component is lacking. Because when you're reusing by reference, that content does not exist in the file that they're looking at. So you want to be able to provide additional contextual information to the translator to say, oh, hey, you know, when you get to this point, there's a bit of content that's being inserted and maybe even provide them with the reusable co- content to say, this is this has already been translated, but this is what's going in here. So that way, when they get to that point, they don't, they're not stumped and say, well, this doesn't make sense because it goes from part A to part C, we're missing part B, I don't know what it says there. That can certainly throw off the translation process. So being able to provide that additional context around what is going on in your content set is critical uh, when you're doing things with uh, intelligent reuse. Right,
0: right. So I think really one of our main takeaways from today is that you certainly can save money when it comes to localization on the translation side of things, but you need to be uh, prepared to to really pay attention to your translator's needs.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the, the savings that you get from You know, a reduced word count is all fine and good, but, you know, the translation is only as good as the quality of the translation itself. And if you're tripping up the translator in any way, you're not going to see that return on investment in localizing.
0: Right. Absolutely. Well, I think that that's a good place to wrap up. So thank you so much, Bill. Thank you. And thank you for listening to the Content Strategy Experts podcast brought to you by Scriptorium. For more information, visit scriptorium.com or check the show notes for relevant links.